In the 1960s, a social psychologist named Eric Erickson studied and really observed human behavior. He did so extensively for many years. Now, now Erickson was not a pastor or a theologian, and he was not out to create a biblical theological model for counseling. That's not Erickson's goal. He was simply observing human behavior, but what he came up with is known as a theory of development, oftentimes known as having an identity crisis. That phrase came from, from Erickson in the 1960s, and his findings, even though not necessarily biblical per se, are really quite helpful. In his theory of development, what he argued for in his findings was that teenagers in particular, as they're leaving childhood and as they're entering adulthood, as adolescents, uh, people are, are searching for an identity. People are searching to discover who they are or what they're going to be. And, and it's important for them as teenagers to discover who they are apart from even their parents, to find their own identity to be known for things. And so a lot of teenagers will say, oh, that's my thing, or I'm into this. And so teenagers tend to experiment with lots of different things. And so they experiment with, with their clothing, and they'll experiment with their hobbies or their music or different peer groups, and they're trying to fit in. They're just, they're just trying to be accepted and trying to find value and trying to define who they are independent from their parents, and this even has spiritual parallels where they're trying to make their faith their own and not just their parents' faith, but do I truly believe this? Now, mom and dad taught this, but do I truly believe in Jesus or not? And so all of this is happening whenever people become teenagers. They're trying to define who they are. Now, Erickson believes, so what, what he taught in his observations were that if a teenager reaches adulthood and they don't come to a clear sense of who they are, then they're going to have all kinds of personality disorders and be an unhealthy, not stable adult. And so the person will be continually confused about who he or she is, still searching for their identity. And so they're stuck in like perpetual adolescence. And so this is having what he called an identity crisis. And so just to make it very practical, you've probably met adults that you thought, oh, that's an adult. But man, they got to grow up. Ever met someone like that? Yes, I see plenty of heads nodding. Hopefully not you. No one said that about you, obviously. But other people that we've observed, we think, man, that, that adult, man, just, they really need to just grow up. So this is a general truth. And so this is just something that, again, this psychologist that he observed in human behavior in creation. But oftentimes what you see in creation is paralleled in what God reveals in his word. There's all kinds of parallels, and so where general truth is actually reflecting and mirroring true God-revealed spiritual truth from his word. And so, for example, a human body. And so in order for your body to be healthy, you need adequate rest. You need to eat nutritious meals. You, you can't eat at the food court at the mall every single day and be healthy. You need nutritious 
food, and, and you need exercise. And, and so there's different elements that you need for your body to be healthy. And that parallels spiritual truth that the scriptures reveal that we're called to grow up in Christ. And Jesus is the bread of life and living water. And so we need to feed our souls from the word. And so we need that, and we need to rest our souls in Jesus, and we need to use our muscles spiritually. We, we need to be active spiritually so that we stay healthy. And, and so oftentimes general truth and spiritual truth, really, it's parallel. And so God gives us these general truths to help us better understand what he's revealed in his word about how we're to follow Christ and become who he's called us to be, to reach maturity in Christ, where we know him and we're, we're engaged in making him known. So we are called to grow up in Christ. We are not called to stay spiritual children. But sadly, there are many believers in Jesus who know him, who have his spirit, that have the word. They're even part of a church, and yet you see them and they're just not mature. It's just the way they think and how they speak and the failure to, to give or to serve. And it's just many different ways what, what their soul is just attracted to things that are not godly. And so you look at this person and say, man, this believer is like they're stuck. It's like they're stuck in like spiritual high school. And it's time to grow up. And it's time to not still be with the petty junior high and, and high school problems. Like you're, you're an adult and so you need to behave like one, and that includes spiritually. Now, we have been pondering this this morning here briefly on spiritual stagnation and why we don't grow and we don't progress and don't experience the healing and deliverance that we are hungry for and just lack of transformation. Let me give you the reason why. This is the reason why this happens. Whenever a believer in Jesus does not have a clear vision of who Jesus is, they're going to stagnate. If Jesus is not real to you, if you don't really know who he is from his word, if your vision for Christ is one that you've imagined from your own, your own thoughts, but you don't have a clear vision of who Jesus is from his word, you're going to stagnate. But then secondly, if you don't have a clear vision of who you are, in Christ, you will stagnate. You need both. You need to see Jesus clearly, know who he is. And then secondly, you need to know who you are in relation to him. You need to have a clear vision of who you are as an image bearer of God. Have a clear identity. This is foundational for us as followers of Jesus. And if you don't have both of these clear who Jesus is and who you are in Christ, then you're going to just wander. And you're going to just exist. Instead of truly living a life that's passionate and on fire for Christ, that's full of meaning and purpose and mission, we, that won't happen. You would just kind of get through and just survive and exist in life. So it really breaks my heart when I see believers that aren't on fire, that, that have grown cold towards Jesus. And so what we need is a fresh vision of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ, and which is why we've been asking the question here or this series on who is Jesus. 
We need a very clear vision of who Jesus is. We've been looking through the scriptures on who is Jesus. And today we, we conclude this by looking at Revelation chapter 5. As we ask, who is Jesus? May we not have a spiritual identity crisis. May we know who Jesus is and may we know who we are in Christ. So who is Jesus? We're going to see from Revelation 5 that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. This is who Jesus is. He is the lion and the lamb. To him alone be the glory. Let us read Revelation 5 together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within on, and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. God is so glorious. Reading his word, this is food for our hungry souls. Today's sermon will have two parts, the first and parts that follow the text itself. And so the two parts, first we're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? That's part one. Who is Jesus? As he's revealed in Revelation 5. And so we're seeing who is Jesus? He is the lion and the lamb. That's what we see here in this text. So the Spirit of God inspired John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, to write the book of Revelation. Now, John was given this vision, and he was taken by the Spirit beyond the borders of our physical world, of this 
universe. He was taken out and beyond time and history. And so he was taken into the very throne room of God. And he beheld the glory of our God. So Revelation 5 here shows us who Jesus is. It is profound and life-changing if we will hear it, spiritually see it, internalize this, and live in light of it. So you have John who is watching this incredible scene unfold, and an, an angelic, heavenly elder says to John, he says that this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he calls Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah. He says the root of David. He says he has conquered and so that he can open the scroll. Now, Jesus alone was worthy to break the seals. So these are wax seals that, that were imprinted with the ring of the, of the king. And it was just an official document. This has seven seals. And so you could not tamper with it. You could not break the wax seals and open the scroll unless you had permission and you had authority. And you were worthy to open up this, this scroll and unroll it and see what's inside. And so because it's written on the front and the back, which is very unique, this is talking about completion. So this scroll has the complete destiny of the world. That's what you're seeing here. God's plan to reveal his glory through redemption by saving a people that will belong to him, to make him known, that will enjoy him forever. God's plan for the world is contained in this scroll. And so Jesus alone is worthy to open it because he is the one that accomplished God's purposes. And so he is, we see here, the root of David. So he is the Old Testament promised Messiah. That's who he is. He's the conquering king. And all the nations of the world are his inheritance. That's what we're seeing here in this text of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And he has defeated the enemy, and he has crushed him, like we saw earlier in the series. He is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, and so he will make the enemy a footstool under him. And so Jesus conquered Satan, and Jesus is the one who conquered death, and he conquered sin. This is Jesus, what we're seeing here. He conquered the grave itself. Now, if you're John and you're watching this unfold with all these angelic beings and you're told that there is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he is coming, have you, have you ever been in a big crowd, you know, like really big, thousands of people, maybe you're about to watch a ball game that you look forward to for a long time or, or maybe a concert and you're just waiting there and the music is playing and you just can't wait for it to start. And you're just so excited, and the anticipation is building, and you're, all of you're waiting and planning, and you're, you just can't wait for that beat to drop so you can, you can start singing in the concert, and you're just so excited. Can you just feel John's anticipation? He's hearing about this Jesus. He's hearing about the lion who is about to come on the stage, and he's so excited. And then what happens? He looks, and it says, and between the throne of the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. 
And so first you have him described as a lion, and now he's a lamb. Both are put side by side. Well, why? He was expecting to see a lion. Why a lion? Well, the lion, Jesus is described here symbolically. Now, just so you know, this is symbolic language. He's described here symbolically as a lion because he's like, he's a lion-like conquering king. And so Jesus being described as a lion is talking about his royalty, his power, his victory. Watch this. He has conquered. And so now he's described as a lamb, the same person, as a conquering lion-like king, but now as a lamb. But he's not just a lamb. When Jesus finally comes out, it says that he's a lamb behind the curtain. He comes out, and what you see is a lamb, he says, who looks as though he was slain. And so this lamb, it says, that had been slain. So it's not just a lamb, but it's a dead-looking lamb. You think, well, that doesn't sound very glorious to me. That sounds kind of gross. And not only that, but then it says that he has seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits of God. Now, when I read it earlier, how many thought, man, that's just weird. Now, don't raise your hands. But I see enough smiles or don't deny it. Some of you thought, man, this is just weird. Like, what is this lamb who was slain with seven eyes and seven horns? And again, this is not literal language. It's describing Jesus with metaphorical, symbolic language. It's describing who Jesus is, describing his, his infinite perfections, his stunning glory. So when you, you see Jesus here described as a lion, it points to his victory, his power, his royalty. When you see Jesus described here as a lamb who was slain, your mind is supposed to go back to Exodus chapter 12, when God's people were in slavery in Egypt and God provided a Passover lamb. And so God's people experienced freedom from slavery through the lamb who was slain. But your mind may also go back to, like we looked at a few weeks ago, who is Jesus? He is the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. So your mind also can go back there where it says that he is a lamb who was led to the slaughter. The lamb who paid the price for the sin of God's people so that they can be free. And so this is rooted in what was revealed in the Messiah in the Old Testament. But notice his vision from Revelation 5. It says that he sees a lamb that is standing. He's no longer dead. He's receiving worship in the throne room of God. And so this lamb is not dead anymore. He is alive with resurrected power and life. But notice that it's obvious that this lamb had been slain. And so the evidence, the marks... We're still on him. And so Jesus still has scars on his hands and feet and side where he was pierced for our transgressions, where we are healed by his stripes. And so he still, even with his resurrected, glorified body, fully human, fully God, and Jesus still has kept those scars. As a reminder to you and me, and we will see him for eternity, and he will still have those scars. 
and it will serve as a reminder of the price that had to be paid for sin. But what you're seeing here as the lion and the lamb, he is the powerful lion-like king who defeated the enemy through, so he defeated the enemy by means of being the sacrifice, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And so his victory precisely was won on the cross and his ensuing resurrection. So what you're seeing here when he's described as having seven horns and seven eyes, understand that the number seven in the Bible refers to completion or to perfection, to fullness. And so when you see he has seven horns, it means he has complete power. And so seven eyes, he's all-seeing and all-knowing. And so this is just, again, figurative language describing who Jesus is as all-wise and all-powerful. And so the seven spirits of God refers to the Holy Spirit of God, seven being perfect and complete, so he's holy. And so it's not seven spirits, literally, it's one holy, perfect spirit, And so he is sent out. And so the Son and the Father both sent out the Spirit into the world. And he indwells believers who are trusting in the Lion and the Lamb. And so what you're seeing here when you understand the context is absolutely magnificent in Revelation 5. Now, I also understand that in our world today, when people read Revelation some people want to calculate, and it's, it's humorous to me, and if you do, I'm sorry. I mean, no disrespect, but if you ever heard anyone teach through Revelation, oftentimes they'll say, this number corresponds to this, and then they'll pull out the newspaper, and they start interpreting Revelation with, with the newspaper and today's current events, and they're, and they're trying to calculate the numbers, and sometimes it's called numerology, and no offense and no disrespect, but that is not the point of Revelation 5. You don't see John pulling out his calculator to do calculations and numerology when he's in the throne room of God. That's not what John did. Well, other people respond to Revelation and they might not calculate, but what they'll do is they'll feel anxiety or or feel fearful and and are a little afraid of what's going to happen in the future. And so sometimes Revelation can cause us to have anxiety or, or just feeling unsettled. That's not the point of Revelation. It's not designed to make us feel unsettled or worried about tomorrow, nor is it a means for us to try to calculate things, and nor is it for argumentation. There are a lot of people that go to Revelation, and they want to argue that they know exactly what every symbol means, and they want to tell you, and they have it all on maps and charts and have it all perfectly figured out, tied with with the bow, and say this is exactly what Revelation means, all the symbolism, and they'll argue with you, that is not the point of Revelation. It's not. It's not about charts. It's not about that. The proper response to Revelation is what is revealed in Revelation, in the Bible. So not to be too simplistic, but I want to be biblical. And so how should we respond to this revelation of God. Well, the way that you see the Bible describes what the response is to seeing 
the glory of God. And they sang, this is verse 9, and they sang a new song. They had a worship service. They sang. They broke out in singing. When, when, when they say who God is, the response, the natural response was singing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worship. The point of God revealing who he is to us is that we can worship him. That's what we do. We break out in song. We worship him. Verses 13 to 14 at the end. And it says, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. In verse 14, this is the response. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We fall down before our God with our face planted on the ground, shielding our eyes from the splendor and majesty of God. We worship. Other times we stand in his presence with our hands lifted high, just praising him, feeling his spirit at work in and through us, experiencing presence with God's people. This is a response of seeing who God is. You know, there are times when I'll be sitting in, in a coffee shop and I'll have my headphones on. I'm listening to music that just stirs my soul and it's singing a song to God. And sometimes it's kind of weird because I'll be sitting in Costa and Baba at a shark mall. And, and I want to just raise my hands and just praise Jesus. But then there's Emiratis that are smoking their shisha, yes, in the mall. We're right there next to me and it, they're thinking, well, what's wrong with that guy? It's, or sometimes I'll be driving and I have to be careful because you can't lift your hands when you're driving because you'll see Jesus very soon, <laughs> living here in particular. But this is the response. It should be worship. When God reveals who he is, we respond with worship. That's the point. That's the point of revelation. Not just this book, but all of God's revelation is that we respond with worshiping him. Lives of praise, for he alone is worthy. Do you see it? Do you see his glory revealed in his text? I mean it. Do you see it? Or is your vision so clouded by other things in your life that you can't even see the indescribable glory of God when his word is being proclaimed and read? This is not a religious thing. This is not about religion where you, you come to church or you, you pretend and do the religious thing because you want to fit in with the crowd. Revelation here is crying out, Jesus is glorious. See him. Be in awe of him. This is where it all starts. We see who Jesus is. He is the lion and the lamb. So now that we have a little bit clear idea of who Jesus is from this text as our king, lion, and savior, lamb, the question, well, who am I? What is my identity? So in light of who Jesus is, who he's made me to be in him and saved me from my sin, as we see in this text, 
well, who am I and how should my life be lived? And this is part two. So who am I? Who am I? So who is Jesus, Lamb, the Lamb? Who am I? Well, we can all answer the question, who am I, many different ways. We can all we can all look to things of this world to define who we are and find our sense of worth and purpose and identity. And so some of you in this room are defining who you are by your success in your career. And that's how you define who you are, by success in your career. Others of you is by your security in a relationship. And so you're, you define who you are by who you're with in your relationships. Others of you, it's, it's not necessarily work or relationships, but it's, it's your status. From material possessions, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, where you live, the vacations you take. All of these, these material possessions that gives us status. For others of you, it might well be the stimulation you get from different hobbies or, or different sports. And so you define who you are, but you feel most alive when you're engaged in your hobby. For others of you, it's your ego that gets stroked by being considered physically attractive and having attention from the opposite sex. And that, that becomes your identity. I'm the pretty one. I'm, I'm the one that guys like to talk to. I'm, I'm the one that girls check out in the mall. I'm not actually, but theoretically, I'm just throwing it out there. These are different ways that we can, we can define who we are and what our identity is. And we all want to matter. We all do. We all want to be accepted. We all, we all desire that and have a purpose that, that's bigger than ourselves. But how you define who you are in light of who you are in Christ will directly impact how you live your life. Revelation 5 has much to say about who Jesus is, but also about who you are in Christ. So who are you? There's a lot to be said, but just briefly. One, you are redeemed. So who am I? I am redeemed. Verse 9 says that through the blood of Christ, he's had ransomed a people for God. He says from all nations, every tribe, nation, and tongue, which is why I love our church that is a picture of heaven right here in Abu Dhabi. The word ransom refers to buying, to paying a price to, to acquire ownership of. You were bought with the price. You were not your own. You belong to God. So now glorify God with your body. We, we deserve God's judgment. We received his mercy because Jesus paid it all on the cross. So now that you are ransomed, now that you are redeemed, you're no longer a slave to sin, no longer a slave to Satan or a slave to fear. You're not. You are liberated, and you can be free to run to Christ to enjoy him. This is who you are. This is your identity. You are redeemed. You belong to Jesus. This defines you. Please listen to me. You are not a failure. You are not. You are not a failure. You might feel like one at times, but you are who Jesus says you are, and he says you belong to him and that you are redeemed. You cannot define yourself by your failures or your struggles. Because what will happen is if, if you define who you are by your struggles and you see a lack of growth, a lack of transformation, you're going to get depressed. And you say, well, what's the point? Why strive to grow or why strive for holiness? This is just who I am. 
I'm just like this. So I'm never going to change. And you say, there's no hope for me to change. Well, that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from Satan. He wants you to give up. But that's not true. Don't define yourself by your struggles. You are of the redeemed and you exist to reflect the glory of God. And so we must focus on Jesus and believe who we are, that who he says that we are. You belong to him and you have a purpose. You're no longer a slave. And so we can live in this truth. This is who you are. You are victorious. This is not religious duty where you have to work to earn God's love. That's not what we're saying. That's just depressing because we can never do enough to earn God's love. We're talking about here the fact that you already are loved. You already have been saved. You already have his spirit and declared righteous. And so you are simply living your identity. You are simply living out who you are. Listen, cheetahs run. That's what they do. Eagles fly. Fish swim. Riders write. Artists Draw. That's what they do. They just do it. The redeemed grow. The ransomed reflect the glory of God. The children of God, the Father, love their Father. Who you are. This is your identity. You walk in it. This is not trying to be who you're not. This is being who you are. Be who you are. Remember who you are in Christ. This changes everything, being of the redeemed. Second, who am I? I'm a priest. I'm of the redeemed, but I'm a priest. Verse 10 says that he has made us priests to our God. And so due to Christ's work on the cross, you now have his spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives literally in you. And so before God, you can experience the presence of God at any moment because he is right there with you and in you. As a priest, what they did in the Old Testament was they worked in the temple. Well, now you are the temple. And so you serve God with your temple, with your body. Who you are is, is the sacrifice before God, service to God. And so this is what we do as priests. We have God's presence and we serve him. We have been called for a purpose. And so you've been saved to serve. You've received mercy for the mission. But the problem is that we can get down on ourselves and we compare and say, well, I'm not him. Well, I'm not as good as her. And by the way, just, just so you know, pastors are so guilty of this. Oh, my goodness. Because we, we go on YouTube and we see other pastors who preach better than us and have really big, impressive churches and have millions of followers on their Facebook. And we think, well, that pastor, man, he's so gifted and he can do so much for God, but I'm not him. Psh, I, I'm worthless. And we compare. We feel like we can't contribute, and God can never use us. Are you serious? You are a priest before God. 
You have the Holy Spirit of the living God in you, and he empowers you to accomplish his purposes, whatever he has called you to do. You have worth, and you are called before God to be a priest to make him known. And so don't compare. Just be you. Just be you. Who you are, how God has made you, is great. And before God, what is big and what is small? I mean, really, what is the measurement here? It's faithfulness before God, enjoying him and making him known. Pastors can be so insecure, and I'm just being honest. It's not just me. This is a phenomenon. This is just across the board. Why? Because you're the one up front who is sharing God's word, and on any given day, people can say, oh, great sermon. And then on that day, you feel like, oh, I have God's presence. God loves me. I love being a pastor. But then other days, you get quite the opposite. There's no applause. No one says good job. And you think, man, I just bombed on Friday morning. And you just want to go crawl under your bed and just not even come out till next week. But you have to because they're waiting for you to come out again the next week. And this insecurity, I'll be honest, has at times in my life just eaten me alive. And it's paralyzing. It is absolutely paralyzing. And you make poor decisions and the key here is realizing who I am in Christ. That gives me great confidence. I don't have to be someone else. I have to just be me. And you have to just be you. And if you're being you before God, he's going to use you in amazing and powerful ways. As small as you might think it is, it's not small. Greeting a visitor when they walk in, not small. Whatever it is that you're doing for the kingdom is eternal. And as you heard last week of my announcement with God moving back to the U.S. in a few months, as we're searching for a new pastor now, what I can tell you is that this, this church will need more people to embrace their calling as priests before God and to use their gifting and to not crumble under the pressure, but to trust God that he has a purpose and a plan for you. And you are redeemed and you are a priest before God. Who am I? Next, you are a worshiper. I am a worshiper. That's what you see here in Revelation 5. It ends with people, every tribe, nation, and tongue. And, and you see it again in chapter 7 where you see more of the redeemed praising God together, falling on their faces, wearing the white robes. That's going to be us one day. We are worshipers. This is my identity. I am a worshiper. I am a worshiper of Jesus. And if you trust him as your Savior, then you are a worshiper of Jesus as well. And so when we bow down before an idol and find our worth and joy and meaning through an idol, we're not living our identity. That's going to create a crisis. That's, that's going to sabotage who God's calling you to be. And so we must not bow down before an idol. We must not give our hearts to sin and to idols. We must give our hearts to Jesus. That is your identity. That's joy and meaning and purpose. All that God wants for you is wrapped up in you being a worshiper of the king, the lamb, the lion who has overcome. This is who we are. So your identity is not about you. It's not about me. Our identity is about the glory of God. That's what our identity is about. 
bowing down. And when we're worshiping Jesus, what happens is our hearts are stirred to reach those that are, don't know him, that are not worshiping him. And so do you know Jesus today? I don't take that for granted. Just because you're here on a Friday does not necessarily mean that you have repented of your sins and are trusting alone in Jesus to save you. Are you among this group of people that have been ransomed, that have been redeemed? If not, today is the day of salvation. You can turn from your sin, trust in Jesus alone, and he will save you. Those of us that do know him, we have this identity. We are redeemed. We're priests. We're worshipers. We belong to him. Let us live this out for his glory. Father, we praise you for you alone are worthy of it. We know that we are not worthy to know you and to praise you, to be priests before you, but we praise that you have set us apart as holy for your service. May we be a church where we embrace this identity, where we serve, where we truly worship you and live out this identity of who we are in Christ, who is the lion and the lamb who has overcome. We praise you. We're desperate for you. We need you and we thank you that we have you. We pray in the name of Jesus.